like to talk about my mom and dad, if you'll indulge me for just a moment. They're in their early 80s, healthy as horses, stubborn as mules. All the standard euphemisms we tend to use to joke about how little control we actually have over our parents. But truly, since March, I've seen a level of defiance from these two that I absolutely didn't expect because at the height of the pandemic, my dad would still drive to the local gas station to grab the daily cup of coffee they offer free to veterans. And my mother, an asthmatic, I might add, still volunteered at the food pantry downtown, reminding me that even a pandemic can't stop hunger. They didn't really change their lifestyle at all during lockdown. And in fact, they scoffed at me for sequestering myself and my family. So it may surprise you then to hear how much they love dialing in for their medical appointments. These are not technology-loving people listeners, and they are definitely not early adopters. My dad still has the flip phone he bought back in 2005, and I think he enjoys my text messages, but he doesn't really know how to text me back. But does he get a kick out of checking in with his physician by phone? You'd better believe it. I'm Mara Bowen, podcasting for Abbott Nutrition Health Institute. With me today is Stephen Kesters, Associate Professor in the Department of Internal Medicine at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, which is in our own backyard here in Columbus, Ohio. OH, Dr. Kesters? I-O. All right. <laughs> and joining us is Jeannie Hendricks, a registered dietitian nutritionist and founder and owner of This Inspired Life. And the word inspired, the uh, letters RD are capitalized at the end. Now, through the course of this recording, they'll discuss how best to identify the needs for a successful virtual patient experience and present frontline examples of how to discuss nutrition in a virtual setting. But before we get started with the interview, I'd like to note today that our recording may sound different from what you're used to hearing, and that's because we're still in the middle of a global pandemic and we are conducting this interview outside the studio setting. So with all that said, I'm excited because both Jeannie and Dr. Kesters are fresh off recording a webinar with us on this same topic. So hello to you both and welcome. You are so kind to join us for this recording, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you both today. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Now, I always like to begin these discussions by helping our listeners get to know you both a little bit. So do you each mind telling us about your clinical background? Jeannie, maybe you'd like to go first. Absolutely. I've been a registered dietitian for a little over 10 years, um, and I've had the pleasure of working in a variety of settings, including clinical acute care, long-term acute care, and the outpatient setting. I've spent the last five years of my career in the outpatient setting, both seeing clients and supporting clinicians that saw clients. Um, most recently, I relocated to California, where I launched my company, This Inspired Life, and I aim to share a science-based, simple, plant-forward cooking and nutrition education that can support clients in health and wellness goals. Great. And how about you, Dr. Kesters? Well, I've been here in Columbus for a number of years now after coming here to attend medical school at Ohio State. I then went on to residency in internal medicine and pediatrics and then joined Ohio State as a academic primary care physician. I really like that I get to see all ages of patients from newborns all the way up to 97-year-olds in my practice. And I really enjoy the focus on primary care and preventive care, as well as helping patients advocate for their own care. Uh, in the meantime, I help out with my kids and watch them grow up too fast. So thank you both so much for sharing your background. I think that usually helps our audience a lot. And I'm wondering if you can start from the beginning by defining telehealth for us. Well, telehealth is a broad term that people use to really cover a number of different types of other visits you'll hear about. So terms you may also have heard are telemedicine, telehealth, e-visits, virtual visits, video visits virtual check-ins. So there's a lot of different kinds of you know technology being used when you hear the word telehealth. But for the simplicity of referring to it, most people just lump it all together under the word telehealth. 
So we should acknowledge, too, that telehealth really isn't a new concept, but it's one that has gained a certain popularity that was born from necessity at the outset of this global pandemic. So with that in mind, can you tell us what telehealth was like before COVID-19 and then also what it's like now? So you're right that telehealth isn't really a new concept. And at the same time, it seems new to most people because it really wasn't being used widely prior to the onset of the pandemic. A little bit of background is actually that telehealth was kind of set up for existence by the High Tech Act passed about 10 years ago during the Great Recession when hospitals and medical practice were incentivized to develop their electronic medical records. And a lot of those included options for telehealth within that. As recently as March, only 13,000 Medicare beneficiaries a week were using telehealth, which sounds like a lot until you realize that at the end of March, millions were, and since then, it's only gone up. So it really was born out of necessity, and fortunately, a lot of places were at least partly equipped to jump into telehealth when this whole pandemic started. And I agree. I think the acceptance, both from clinicians and patients, has come out of necessity out of this pandemic. I'm not sure the concept has really changed, but the way that we provide it in the structure has certainly developed over this time that we've been providing telehealth. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the act of Congress that actually helped enable this conversion to telehealth more rapidly, and that is the Medicare 113Y5 waiver that was part of the Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriations Act back in March of 2020, which actually authorized a broader range of providers, including registered dietitians, psychologists, social workers, doctors, to all use telehealth uh, in multiple settings, not just outpatient, inpatient, and even critical care. It authorized us to use it with new patients, not just existing patients. And it actually paused HIPAA penalties for that time period as long as telehealth was being used in good faith to connect with patients during this global emergency. That and the reimbursement, which was made equivalent to an in-person visit, really helped fuel the fire that helped us adopt telehealth more rapidly during this time. So we hear a lot about the patient experience and the telehealth environment. And I know that's something we plan to discuss today, but Something I haven't heard much about is what telehealth is like for clinicians. But first of all, what happens when you can't see your patients? I must say at first it feels awkward um, and we feel a little like our practice is incomplete. We all know how much dietitians love to use our food boxes and visuals and food labels to teach our patients. We need to rely more heavily on asking questions and gauging for understanding, which can slow down our visit. So I think going into it, knowing some of those limitations and going in with an open mind is really the most helpful thing. I would just add on that for the medical side of things, it's actually going back to some old skills I learned years ago. Since I'm on call many hours after my practice, a day is over, I've had to spend many evenings and weekends talking to patients and problem solving. And it's not the most fun part of my job sometimes, but I have learned how to ask the right questions, how to kind of decipher how important something is by phone, and to listen to patients and let them describe things. Uh, it's certainly not the same as seeing somebody in person, but there's a, quite a bit you can accomplish by phone. And then when you add video to it, there's even more that you can accomplish. Now, all of this makes me think that clinicians who are new to the telehealth format probably have an immediate need when setting up a telehealth program to understand some basic guidelines. So can you speak to some of those best practices? Probably the biggest thing that anybody who's going to adopt telemedicine can do is to try to get a little bit more familiar with the technology. Um, there are quite a few providers out there. Uh, if you're working for a bigger institution or practice, you may already have an electronic medical record that has an integrated system. But I know even through our institution, which has an integrated one, we use at least two others on a regular basis to connect with patients. 
So understanding that there's different technology out there and experimenting with it to get a sense of how it works, what you're comfortable with, what the patient experience is like, is really important in kind of getting off the ground. And then I guess the second big thing I would say is to try to work with your staff that you work with if you have an office to help set up a process that makes it smooth from the scheduling to the check-in process to the documenting to the talking to the patient and the troubleshooting, which inevitably comes up in some of the cases. I would completely agree. And I think practicing on family members or staff in your office and really walking through the process ahead of time will make everyone feel at ease, you know, from front to end. And I think that's really important when you're getting geared up to start doing telehealth. So now that you've talked about what you need to do to help clinicians prepare, can you tell us a little bit about what clinicians could set in place to offer a successful telehealth experience for your patients? We really need to establish some clear ground rules and expectations. This helps both the client and yourself understand the path of the care that you're going to be providing. So working together to discuss what will make the appointment successful for the client, making sure that we're both on the same page for limiting distractions or coming to the visit prepared. That will really set the patient up for success and give them a level of comfort, understanding what to expect. So you both have kind of hinted toward this already, but what challenges might clinicians face in this initial setup phase? And by that same token, what challenges might patients face? I guess what I'm asking is, what is it like to maintain the standard of positive telehealth experience? I think for me, it was more about the transition to just a new routine. We all probably remember our first few days when we were out practicing whatever career we were in, and it was just new, and we didn't have a routine, nothing seemed to flow, nothing was the way we were used to doing it, so we kind of had to come up with a new structure. And doing telehealth or video visits definitely is that same kind of process. It goes back a little bit to kind of practicing and understanding what the technology, how it works, understanding what your experience is like, understanding what the patient experience is like, and, and just developing a comfort. And, and more broadly, for, for my primary care office, I think it's a process for the whole office, the scheduling, the check-in, the, you know, getting data from patients such as blood pressures or blood sugars or, or weights and things like that that help us assess their problem, give them counseling. So I, really, I guess if I had to summarize, I'd say office visits are a kind of social ritual. There's kind of a process to them. And to the extent that you can, I think it's about recreating that ritual with the key elements that patients and providers are used to, but then adapting it for the telehealth world. And I would add to that too, you know, setting up your physical environment in the virtual world that mimics your in-person so the patient feels comfortable, you know, making sure your camera is at eye level so they feel like they're speaking to you, making sure your appropriate distance from the camera. And advising your clients to do the same, you know, making sure they're in a well-lit room, that they come prepared. All of those things are really going to set both up for success and give a level of comfort. And I always am a huge fan of having a backup plan. I think especially with the technology piece, communicating that with the patient ahead of time. You know, if the video cuts out because of your Wi-Fi, I'm going to call you on the phone. So they feel like they're not, you know, it puts them at ease again and it helps them feel open and ready to learn and engage with their provider. Great. That's super helpful. And there's one thing that I'm really hoping we can drill into here because we are the Appa Nutrition Health Institute after all. And I think we all know it's tricky to motivate patients to follow good nutrition, even in normal times. So how do you broach the subject of good nutrition when speaking with patients in a format where you can't really meet in person? I think clinicians, no matter what the topic is, when it comes to lifestyle and behavior change, 
we always need to approach it with empathy and ask lots of open-ended questions. And I think that lends itself to engaging patients in true listening and behavior change practices. When we can develop rapport and meet our patients on a human level, that helps them feel more open to making changes. And really acting as their coach or their guide. I think a lot of times as clinicians, we're viewed as perfect or we know all the answers. And it can really um, stymie the relationship because instead of being internally motivated to make changes, they're really just trying to please you or answer to the food police. This is something we really need to hone in on as clinicians is understanding that we need to get a relationship that will build rapport and support them so that they feel motivated to change. And I would just add in that it's such an interesting time now because of all the disruptions, you know, telehealth is new, so many things are new with this whole pandemic, that I think people are actually a little bit more open to talking about their health because it's become very prominent in the era of COVID. So another thing we probably should address is that there are some concerns around telehealth too, right? Can you speak to what some of those concerns might be? I think one of the main questions people have is, can I really practice what I do through a telephone or through a video visit? And as we've kind of highlighted already, there certainly are some modifications to it, but I think the answer is yes. Most of the visits we would see, at least in my primary care office, we can do on a video visit basis. Um, They're not perfect. There are some little parts we're going to miss. And those we try to bring into the office when we can. But I would say that for a lot of what I deal with, and I think a lot of what other health professionals deal with, are chronic conditions that we're trying to provide support for, whether it be diabetes or depression or obesity. Um, And a lot of times those are heavily, you know, involved counseling, for example, counseling and, and trying to motivate patients to make some changes. And that part of a visit, as long as you make that connection, I think you can do very effectively. Um, The second thing I guess I'd say that people have concerns about telehealth is just the technology part. Um, obviously people have different comfort levels with technology. I think we would generally assume that older patients would be less comfortable with technology. Uh, but I was surprised when I was preparing for our webinar to find that data actually shows it's kind of the middle age group that is the most uncomfortable with technology. Uh, my personal bias is that I think a lot of the older generation, the grandparents, et cetera, have learned to connect with their grandkids through technology. And because they're heavy users of medical care, they've become quite comfortable with contacting their doctor's office through the patient portal or through emails or, or things like that to get the care they need. And they've really taken responsibility for that. So I've been pleasantly surprised with how comfortable most people are with technology. I would agree with all of that. Through my conversations with patients, I've heard, you know, they feel they may not be able to connect as well or have that rapport with their clinician and vice versa. I I think if we can set ourselves up physically in a way that feels connected, if we can have a lot of dialogue around how patients are feeling and set up that rapport, it really is easy to almost feel like you're in the room together and um, it provides some advantages as well. So I'm glad you mentioned the advantages because, you know, we've talked about the challenges, but we know that there are lots of advantages too. Can you speak to some of those benefits? So technology really opens doors into the patient's lifestyle and environment like never before. We wouldn't have those opportunities in the um, outpatient office. So we know that lifestyle environment are really the drivers for making changes in health and wellness. So it, I view it as very exciting for clinicians, especially registered dietitians, that we can see a doorway into their home, their home environment, their kitchen. We could see the way they prepare or cook something. We could see the foods that are in their pantry. It really increases our resources to help a patient. I would echo what Jeannie says. There's a lot of great positives to this that I've found uh, along the way. 
First of all, we have to mention safety right now with COVID. A lot of the reason we went to this is to make sure patients are safe and make sure our offices are safe if patients are going to be coming in to see us. But there's also some efficiency in terms of travel time savings, in terms of reducing no-shows related to traffic jams, weather delays, wrong turns, things like that. But probably the most exciting thing to me is that we're now bringing care to patients a little bit better. And I really hope this persists beyond the pandemic because I think it's been a great addition. The world of medicine has started to transition into the world of outreach more, where we're talking about care coordination and taking care of patients when they're not in the office. And at the same time, because telehealth wasn't fully embraced prior to now. I don't think we took full advantage of that. And I think we've realized now how much more we can do with outreach and reaching into a patient's home to help them where they are. So you're both very well versed in using telehealth to help care for your patients. And I'm wondering if you can tell us about some of the things you personally have done to connect with patients and how those efforts are helping you to be successful in this pandemic. I have really tried to use tech as a connector and a visual teaching tool. So using screen sharing to do virtual grocery shopping together, helping clients set up their environment for success, I think there are limitless possibilities. I also use things like surveys and send supplemental education materials virtually. And all of these things really enhance the experience and help our patients buy in a little bit how telenutrition can really be a great avenue for them. I would just add on that. I think along with the technology sharing of that information, the, the initial connection is kind of a unique thing for people. So just the fact that you're on technology is a way to connect with them in the first place and sort of develop that rapport that's going to make you more successful during the visit. You know, I always call off the elephant in the room, which is COVID right now. Everybody's been impacted somehow, um, whether it's, you know, their kids and then going to school, whether it's your job and working from home, maybe even loss of a job and, and other stresses that are going on. So there's a lot of things out there right now that you can kind of bond over and create that rapport. And one of the other things I like to acknowledge with patients is, hey, if I was in the office, you couldn't even see my face. I'd be wearing a mask. So since we're on a video chat, we can actually see each other. And that's a great point. And, you know, I think it's important, too, to just kind of share any parting advice you have for clinicians who are either helping to establish telehealth capabilities or helping to maintain existing ones. Do you mind sharing some of those? I think the big thing I would say to people who are hesitant to start doing it or just nervous about their ability to do it well is don't be afraid of change. Um, This was all forced on us. It's new for a lot of us, but it actually has a lot of potential to improve care. And I don't think it's going to replace in-office care, but I do think it's going to augment it. And I think that it should stay around after the pandemic, but realize people are in the same boat. The other thing is, if you think of that old quote by Dr. Francis Peabody, it was for the secret in caring for the patient. I think that really rings true here. If you show that you care about a patient by asking a little bit about their background and how COVID's impacting them and things like that, it will help you deliver care for the patient and it's going to make your connection more successful. And when you do that, it kind of removes that barrier of the video visit entirely. It just becomes talking on the phone to your medical provider. I agree. And I think telehealth is definitely here to stay. It may not replace it, but it definitely is here to stay. And as clinicians, we want to stay educated here. We want to make sure we learn best practices from our peers and continue to build on our skills because it not only will set us apart, but it will help us reach a larger audience and maybe connect with patients that we wouldn't have in the office. So we need to learn from this. We need to grow from this. And we need to understand that we're reaching an audience that we maybe never would have had access to before. So let's embrace it and continue to learn and grow. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for this fantastic discussion. I know you both continue to be so busy in this strange time, and the ANHI team is truly grateful for your time and insights both on the webinar today 
and on this podcast. So thank you for all you're doing to help build awareness for telehealth best practices. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now for our listeners, if you're hoping for more podcast episodes on nutrition and immunity, rest assured we are continuing to develop a series of additional episodes to help support you. You can find these recordings on anhi.org by clicking resources, then podcasts and videos. And if you become an anhi.org member today, which you can do by clicking register at the top of our homepage, you'll receive regular nutrition science news updates. And of course, you can also follow the Abbott Nutrition Health Institute on LinkedIn. Finally, on our website, anhi.org, we have a series of printable resources related to this topic. And you can find these resources on anhi.org by clicking resources and printable materials. Thanks, everyone. Stay healthy and safe.